You're listening to Cine Binge. Welcome to Cine Binge. This show was born from my friend's persistence in me watching certain shows. I've been asking Simon to watch Dark, a German TV show on Netflix, which I guarantee he will like. But for some reason, he's always been a little apprehensive about watching it. So I said, I'll watch it if we can put a podcast around it. And this is that podcast. Last episode, I promised Simon that this episode would be better than episode two. Maybe not enough necessarily to hook him, but it would certainly be more enjoyable. So Simon, was I right? Slightly. It was a slightly better episode than episode two. No, the as we said in the previous episode, there was so much going on in episode two. It was really hard to grasp where it was heading. Episode three, even though it had a lot of stuff going on, it was more enjoyable because there was certain things that started to make sense. That's fair enough. I mean, again, you're being introduced to new characters in this episode, just as we've had with episodes one and two. There's obviously the the jump back in time for this episode. So we're you're now sort of having to ask questions. Are, are we seeing characters that we've already seen previously or are they brand new characters? So there's, there's some extra effort there. Uh, but I think the reason I suggested you might uh, find this episode more enjoyable is just the nostalgia aspect of it. The uh, obviously being set in 1986, the the music, the soundtrack, the uh, the scenery, and so on. I thought that might pique your interest a little bit, as well as obviously the mysteries that keep on coming. I do like that aesthetic. You can definitely see why people compare this show to Stranger Things. The more I watch it the more I'm getting that Stranger Things vibe. But it feels like it's more of a sort of an intelligent version of Stranger Things, like how when the Goonies came out, you know, a a film that followed it was Stand By Me. And they were both films about children on an adventure, but one was like a lot more serious in tone and the other was like, no, the Goonies. That's how I kind of feel about this. The comparisons to Stranger Things were made quite frequently. Um, I still maintain that as things progress, I think you'll probably find it's more like Lost than Stranger Things. Um, But I I seem to be a minority of one in that thinking currently. Uh, But hopefully you'll join me at some point in that thinking. Um, So should we actually talk about what happened in this episode? Let's get into it. This episode was called uh, Past and Present. To be fair, I don't think there was much that we saw of the present, if I'm remembering correctly. It was largely, if not all totally, limited to the past, except for montage sequences where it would briefly show characters from the present. Uh, But the plot was largely, if not solely, 1986. It starts with Mikkel entering the home of Ulrich Nilsson, and discovering Jana Nielsen on the sofa, uh, calls out mum, and she automatically assumes that it's Mads returning, uh, starts to freak out a little bit and says, you know, uh, where is he? Um, where's Mikael? Uh, sorry, where's Mads? Uh, is he coming back? And that's obviously freaking out Mikkel because he just hasn't got a clue at this point. Where do we go from there? There's a few things that I noticed and... I'm not sure if it was, well, that'll have been Mikkel's grandmother yes. in the house. Okay. Yes. She seemed to recognize Mikkel. She may think that there's a resemblance to Mads, given that there's obviously family there. Um, 
but I guess also the fact that she's going through a really tough time and a young kid of the similar sort of age to Mads walks into her home, she's probably going to react to that quite strongly. Yeah, I know that, but there was just a certain way she was looking at him. This had happened before or something. The thing is with this show, because it's using time now, sort of a, a mechanism in the uh, in the narrative or this the sequences where it shows them like at this age and like in the uh, when they're younger as well but then there are other parts that really threw me and I'll come to that later on but there's a part when they're in the uh, when they're in the the cave and I want to ask you about that there's there's things that are happening in each episode and it's it's sort of like it's getting more intense or it's getting more frequent certain things happening the dead birds, that's becoming more frequent. Dead animals, that's becoming more of a thing. So it's as if something is bubbling or there's something sort of being contained and it's getting bigger and bigger. But I might be way off way off track. Presumably, we've had 33 years of complete and utter silence, I guess. We've, we've not had much movement. None of these sort of events have occurred between these two time periods. Uh, and here we have 1986, weird things going on, kid going missing. Um, and now again, in sort of present time, we are also seeing similar things happening, dead birds, kids going missing. So there's definitely something there around the two eras. And there's, it's also introduced about nuclear power plant and nuclear power and radiation. Um, this episode was quite sort of heavy on that as it featured the new boss of the power plant, which I can't remember her name. So the new boss is Claudia Tiedemann. All right, so Claudia Tiedemann, it's her first day as the new boss. There was a few scenes of Claudia and it was felt like it was setting up quite a few plot points. Uh, I think in the space of about five or ten minutes, we see her having a go at her daughter in the car, saying that you know she looks a state. Uh, I thought it was a bit harsh. Uh, then she's uh, meeting the, I guess, a security guard outside the near, near outside the power station who gives her a present. Uh, then she's inside the power plant. Obviously, she's taking on this responsibility. It looks like she's taking over from um, Bernd Doppler, the current man behind the desk. Uh, so she's she's about to take over his job there. Uh, and has already discovered some sort of big secret that seems quite damaging to the power plant's reputation. Uh, so there's there's a lot there already. And then on top of that, when she leaves the office, she bumps into somebody she seems to know, uh, a journalist, but there's obviously clearly something more going on between them. We know who he is and that he is married, so clearly there's a, an affair going on there of some sort. Yeah, so she's definitely seems to be quite central to what's going on in 1986 at this point yeah and also that security guy who gave her the book he was i think he was uh, painting over some graffiti that said on the floor um no future yes who wrote that that's what i'd like to know it's like who wrote that on the floor hmm. you know is that someone who's already traveled back in time um who knows what's what's going on yeah or was it or was it or could it just be someone uh, who's a disgruntled 
employer who's like, I don't want to be working for her. There's no future at this place. Mm-hmm. There is that as well. Yeah. I mean, I don't know the history of, of nuclear power in Germany in the 80s. It may well be that, that this was part of some, I don't know, some environmental group, for example, that I know that there's quite a big uh, green presence in Germany. So perhaps there's a, a something linked to that. I don't know the history there, but it's also worth pointing out that uh, No Future is also written, I think, a poster on the bedroom wall of Ulrich. And my initial thoughts were always that maybe he had done it. But to be honest, I don't think he's the sort of person that would write that on. Uh, would he care that much about nuclear power in the 80s no. being a teenager? I, I think maybe he probably it's just it's probably just a coincidence, but I'm sure uh, the, the chief of police at that point would likely have uh, blamed him for it because he seems to blame Ulrich Nielsen for everything. Yeah, he doesn't seem that interested in anything, the Ulrich guy. He's like a a, a moody teenager. Uh, Speaking of the police officer or the detective or or, um, police sergeant, um, there's a scene where Mikkel is... So I'm just trying to think, how does where does it get to the point where Mikkel is with the policeman, like... How does he come into the policeman's custody? I can't quite remember. Amiko, I think, just turns up at the police station and is trying to find his um, his family, I think, at that point. Yeah. Um, I might be getting my wires crossed here, but I re- one thing I remember, there was a Rubik's Cube on the desk and it was an unfinished Rubik's Cube. And the way the scene was lit it stood out to me and i thought oh i wonder if that's got anything to do with this or is this just to say this is 1986 when you rubik's cubes were the same as like a nintendo switch they were the thing to have yeah I, I, there's possibly an element of that although you know this is the chief of police with a rubik's cube on his desk so <laughs> it's uh i don't again i can't remember my 80s history i had a rubik's cube back then but I wouldn't remember the um, how popular they were, but it was interesting that, that I think possibly the reason that it was was in the shots was because that later when Mikel is sitting at the desk, he picks it up and completes it. So I don't know if that's... I didn't even get on. Oh, I didn't even get onto that. Did, yeah. really? Yeah, he uh, he completes it while he's searching around for various bits on the desk. Um, picks up the lighter and stuff like that. He uh, he at one point is seen to be completing the rubik's cube and just sets it back down on the desk so i I think in terms of um that doesn't necessarily mean anything but you do kind of get the feeling that um the unfinished rubik's cube the fact that he isn't able to complete it just is perhaps a damning basically i'm saying that egon is uh, not very good like it's just to show that he's not very good at rubik's cubes he's not got the skill i think you're i'm extrapolating from that that it's 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 talking it's a metaphor it's it's saying that he's not very good at solving puzzles yeah he's not logic yes so i think he's i think that's what the rubik's cube at that point the unfinished rubik's cube on his desk perhaps is a is symbolic of egon's inability to solve the puzzle being what's Hang going on, on in Did, 1986. Is his name Egon? Yes. Oh, there's only one Egon. Now there's two. Well, I'm sorry. Howard Ramos is Egon. Um, shout out Ghostbusters. Um, right, okay. I didn't realise Mikel finished the Rubik's Cube and had I like, witnessed that or caught on to that, I probably would have turned it off because I hate those Rubik's Cubes things. Have you ever finished one? No, but I know people that can do it with ease. 
that is rubbish. What they do is they, they buy it complete and then they film themselves doing it really fast and then they just play it backwards. It's a whole con. I would <laughs> dispute that because I've seen a person do it. My uh, my cousin's son has done it in front of me. <sighs> so yeah, I, I definitely know it's not a trick. Yeah. Have you ever tried to complete a Rubik's Cube? I have. There's a, there's a trick to it, but I've never learned what the trick is. Yeah, it's it's uh, the trick is too much time. I had one of these when I was a kid. I couldn't do it when I was a kid. Can't do it now. So yeah, that's the Rubik's cube. Mikel completed it, which says his character is he's a he's a intelligent guy, well, intelligent kid. He can complete puzzles and he thinks logically. That's what I take from that. Now that you told me that he completed it. Yeah, I think he's he's taking, as we've seen in, in what happens in this episode, he, I think he takes the most logical steps. He's gone to his parents' home, realises that something's amiss there, sees the date on the, on the newspaper. This is part of the last episode. And I guess the obvious thing then is to go and see if he can find his mum at the local school because that's where she works. So he takes a visit to the local school, bumps into his mum, but isn't quite as old as... Uh, she's meant to be because she's still a, a kid in the school uh, and quite a nasty kid really to be honest she's a bit of a bully obviously she's there with with hannah and and uh, other friends uh so there's yeah there's that's an interesting scene as well i think she, i wonder what his opinion was of his mum at that point so is she the girl that said that you shouldn't be doing lsd or something yes ah right and that's his mum yes right okay Wow, I didn't realise that because, you know, this is the first time I've watched it and I've not seen it five times like you. <laughs> yeah, there's so many references of 80s things, but it wasn't done in a real obvious way. Like there wasn't photos or there wasn't pictures of Star Wars and E.T. and the typical stuff that we usually say when it's, hey, this is the 80s. But, you know, the soundtrack, um, the sequence when it's at, at the school and it's playing uh, Shout by Tears of Fears. And it just reminded me of that sequence in Donnie Darko when um, it's at the school and they're playing the music uh, Head Over Heels. So I picked up a real Donnie Darko vibe. And that's that film is all about time travel. So it wouldn't surprise me if that was a deliberate um, sort of n like a wink. Or did you get that at all? Or am I just wrong? Yeah, you might be right there. I think uh, it wouldn't surprise me if they've added little um, cultural references and so on in this show through, throughout. So it wouldn't surprise me if they've also deliberately selected that track for that very reason. Going back to the new boss of the power plant, what's her name? Claudia? Yep. So she was really nervous and she was like practicing a speech when she was in a car. But... We didn't, I don't think we saw who the speech was to. Was that to the old guy or is, is did she not perform a speech? Because I thought that's what she was doing. She was practicing a speech, but I don't think we ever actually see her give that speech. I presume it was to the board, uh, not to sort of any one individual or uh, an audience, a big audience. I think it may have just been a speech to the ball that she needed to prepare for. Uh, there's clearly some history between her and one of the employees or journalists at the um, at the power plant. He says he misses her, but it doesn't really give us any indication on on what's happened. When is it revealed? Because you don't find out who that is straight away, do you? No, I'm pretty sure you don't see who he is until a bit later in the show. And I suppose when you say to me this show is like Lost, the only Lost vibe I'm getting from it is definitely not the uh, the 
the story side of Lost, but maybe how they have flashbacks um, where we see characters like in a not this young, but you know, they, we're seeing kind of why or how they're in certain um, situations. Perhaps um, Mikel also steals a lighter, and the camera makes we we see that it's. And I'm wondering, does he just steal that so he can see? Because he's thinking, right, I'm going to go back to that cave and see if I can go home. Yeah, I think you're right there. I think it's the logical aspect that we were talking about earlier with him. He obviously has a plan and has decided that the uh, the, the flickering lights that that, uh, that keeps plaguing the town to him seems to be a signal that. That's what happened last time. This is why this is why he ended up in 1986. So perhaps those flickering lights mean that he can get back again if he can get back to the cave. So I, I suspect that's probably why he ended up where he did. So having gone to his home and found that his parents aren't there and then gone to the school to see if his mum's there, he then goes to the police station like you would hope any sensible child would do uh, when they're lost. So... Clearly, he has some smarts about him and he goes Mm -hmm. to the police station and tells them that he is uh, looking for his parents. Egon seems a bit suspicious, wonders who has put him up to it because Mikkel is claiming that his dad is some teenage boy called Ulrich Nilsson, who Egon doesn't like. So uh, Egon decides to phone up a nurse or the local hospital and asks them to come and see the boy. Meanwhile, Egon chucks on his coat and goes to find Ulrich. Uh, so this is soon, this is around about the time that we see Ennis Conwald, who is a nurse at the local hospital. And we actually saw her at the very beginning of the episode when we first see her taking on the shift of another nurse who has to take their child, presumably their child, has to take Benny to soccer practice. And Ennis Conwald, it seems nice enough, I guess, to agree to taking on this shift. And lo and behold, that that decision has led her to being introduced to Mikkel. I don't like her. I've got a theory, Andrew. Um, I think I'm going to have a theory on the show every week. Uh, last week was cloning. This week... Hold on. This is Simon's theory. We need, we need like a, an actual thing, like a, an actual theme tune for this segment. Simon's yeah. theory. No, we do. I reckon, right, if I, anyone listening to this who's a musician or can do any type of sound stuff, do us a little jingle. And if it's good enough, it'll end up in the show. How about that? Um, Simon's theory. Okay. So last week I thought cloning is going on in this. And that was the end of my theory. I think, um, no. So I thought cloning was going on with the bodies and stuff on this episode, when that nurse was introduced, she just, I didn't like her. She had a, um, she had a Damien Thorne vibe, which if anyone doesn't know Damien Thorne is, he's the, uh, the antichrist in the movie, the Omen. And in the Omen movies, he has like, um, like an army of followers and these like Satanists and, uh, and she looked like one. Um, and then, in the episode as well, Satanism was mentioned, and I thought, right, okay, I think this could be like when it's because it's called dark. It's a cave that goes, you know, into the ground, which you know we all know hell isn't up there. It's supposed to be down there, 
So my theory is some sort of Satanism is going on and hell is involved in this show. That's Simon's theory. Wow, that is a good theory. I, that is... They, they basically... Wyndon is, is the location of Hell's Mouth. Hell's Gate. Hell's Gate. Yeah, and also, right, you told me one of the characters' names before, Egon, right? What's Ghostbusters about? Stopping the ghosts coming from were Hell. So... <laughs> This is, this is, I'm onto this. Yeah. I don't think I need to watch the whole thing now. Yeah, especially as the next episode, they introduce Ray as well. Oh, do you know what? I'd, if they did, I'd be so happy. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. So, but yeah, seriously, I do think there's something like that going on because dead animals appearing, birds dropping out the sky, devilish type stuff going on. The autopsy doctor, he looked like a, like, a devil type follower. I love the conversation that they had, how they went from talking about the, the state of the sheep, you know, the ears have uh, been badly damaged, uh, that they've all had heart attacks and so on. Uh, Egon immediately is obviously angling there, trying to find out if it's, if, if it could be caused by one man or one teenage boy that has an attitude problem. Um, and, uh, but the conversation goes from, you know, state of these ears to, you coming for dinner? Uh, was it Swedish meatballs, Scandinavian meatballs? I can't remember the type of food that he's offering, but uh, there's there's some sorts of meatballs involved. Uh, spicy as hell, but also tasty as hell is the line that he says. Uh, yeah, very quick to change from what, what's quite a weird and serious issue to, yeah, you coming for dinner. And also, just, just thinking then what you just said reaffirms my uh, Satanist angle. Um, spicy as hell. Ah, Yes, yes, definitely. You're seeing, you're definitely seeing all the signs. I didn't spot that one. That was a good one. The thing with the sheep, and it said, they said these things in the ears, which we still don't know what they're called. So we agreed we're just going to call them things. Um, they are not in the correct place. So, which is exactly how it was with the humans as well. Yeah, I think it was actually, I think more damage with the sheep. I think the ears were, eardrums were completely blown as opposed to just the midi-chlorians being moved around. So yeah, as you say, there's there's uh, obviously the sheep have died in this episode. We've also seen uh, a number of dead birds dropping from the sky, including uh, on Egon as well when he's investigating the field and suddenly they all start dropping from the sky and he has to retreat to his car as they thump on the top of his car. Again, these are the sort of things that you get from most of these kind of shows, aren't they? The dead birds seems to be quite commonplace in most of these kind of horror type shows and films. Well, in The Omen they were. Well, no, they weren't in The Omen. They weren't dead. They were just, when there'd be like a black bird, that's mm. when you knew shit was going to go down. You yeah. Just, that, that scary music. Um, and Andrew, if this is anything like Satanist stuff, then The Omen, for me, is one of the scariest films of all time. If you think I'm going to watch... For three seasons of Satanist shit that I'm out. Dragon's Den, that's it. I'm out. Um, I don't think it is going to be that, but um, I thought, oh no, please don't be like this. <laughs> well, I think, I, th I think this episode continues to keep those mysteries alive around what's ultimately causing all of this. Uh, I think that's that's we're still at that stage where we're get we're not getting many answers. We're just getting questions. We're still being introduced to characters uh, like Egon and so on. So there's yeah we 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 don't quite have anything really dropping into place just yet. 
but that will come in time. Yeah, I get that. And that's why this is difficult for me to do because, um, you know, obviously we're doing a podcast and we're doing like my thoughts and a sort of a review of the episode without spoiling anything in the future. I imagine once I get to know the characters and once to get to know what's once you get to know what is going on in certain aspects of it, then it will be a lot easier to theorize and talk about. Cause at the moment it's just, there's so much um, going on and um, it's very, it leaves you confused. Yeah. There's actually a really good website that I discovered fairly recently where you can select the series and episode that you are up to. And it, basically just shows you the characters that you should be aware of at this stage in the show. Uh, it's actually quite a nice way of, of kind of, if you're ever stuck, obviously you've got the advantage of talking to me. So you can, uh, if you kind of mention a character, who's the guy that we see uh, giving a, a book to Claudia, I can go, Oh, that's, that's Helga. You know, Helga's the guy that you see in the early episode where he's uh, the old guy in the care home. He escapes the mm. care home and he starts going, you know, um, it's happening again it's happening again so i can i can kind of link those characters up but also obviously in the show itself one thing i do like about this is it does have those montage sequences where they put the uh the character from 1986 alongside their older equivalent so that you can see that they are the same people and i think that helps to understand the characters well i've got a question about that okay so like, say, Ulrich interacts with Mikhail only in 1986. Yes. Does Ulrich remember that? I'm not going to answer that because that's an interesting <laughs> one. That's, I mean, we're getting... Uh, this is. I was wondering when you were going to mention that because really, ultimately, what we're seeing here is the potential for the effects of time travel. You know, one of the very many different ways that time travel has ever been depicted in TV, film, and, and fiction and so on is what what is the result of that time travel that interaction does that change the future in some way are we going to end up with uh, a 2020 world where there is a madman in charge of of one of the world's biggest superpowers um you know it's that kind of thing isn't it is it are we heading down a back to the future two scenario here where one, one of the, you know, Mikkel has interacted with one of his own family members and has now changed the course of the future. Whenever you think of time travel in movies or TV, those rules that, um, Bob Gale set out in back to the future. They're just the rules of time travel. No other time travel to me <laughs> exists. You know, that's it. Yeah. If you change what happened in the past, then it affects the present um, unless there's an alternate timeline. There was a few other things in this episode that I'd like to mention. I think I mentioned earlier, it seemed to focus a lot more on the nuclear power side of things. And then it also mentioned Chernobyl yes. or Chernobyl, depending where you're from. How do you, Is it Chernobyl? Chernobyl? One of them. How yeah. do you say it? I, I say it both ways just to make sure I've got one of the correct pronunciations in there. Well, all right, when I, I do, do the edit. Well, I do the same with the character names, to be honest. I pronounce them in different really? ways because I'm not entirely sure of the correct pronunciation. So well, that's why it's throwing me. <laughs> because you're saying, oh, yeah, because Mikhail and then Macal. I'm like, who? Yeah, a, a very good example of this is uh, Regina Tiedemann, which I think is the German pronunciation. And then you have Regina Tiedemann. Uh, hang on. In the American dubbed version, I believe it's Regina Tiedemann, which mm. throws me completely. I hate the fact that they changed the sur surname pronunciation from Tiedemann to Tiedemann. 
That was the first question you should have asked me how I watched it as well. Well, I've assumed that you've watched it with the American audio again. No, in fairness, I watched it with the uh, with the dubbed because it just makes it yeah much more enjoyable experience. And maybe once I've got through it all, I might go back and watch it with the um, with the subtitles. So I am team dubbed and your team subtitled. Yeah. And also, what we should mention, um, we have started a, a little social media thing the rule is i am not allowed to control any of it because we can't risk me seeing spoilers so when this podcast isn't on i am literally put in a box it's locked up and then i'm not allowed to do anything i'm not allowed to access anything else so i'm closed off to everything andrew's looking after the social media so feel free to um go and follow cinebinge tv on um on twitter and i think what would be a good idea andrew would be for you to post the link to that website you mentioned that has ways you can um, track how you can track characters with the episode that you're up to. I'm not going to do that because you know, my argument for this is, well, did you have that when you watched it the first time and you say, well, no, well then I'm not having it for the first time. I want to watch this as the director and the writers want you to watch it. And that's the whole thing with storytelling and movies and TV shows. They want you to feel this confusion because when you, when it all fits together, it's that much more, it's a much more rewarding experience for the viewer. Yeah, I would agree. And it's along those lines. I like the fact that this show doesn't try to do uh, what many shows tend to do when they have these kind of connections. They, they will do little flashbacks just to kind of remind you of who the character is or a flashback to an earlier event so that you can go, oh, yeah, like, okay, like this signposting, they're going, hey, do you remember this thing that happened back in episode one? Well, here's this thing happening or here's the reaction to what happened back then. This show doesn't do that. It's It assumes that you're intelligent enough and have a decent memory to remember what happened in episode one and can now link the cause and effects in episode three or four or however many episodes. Um, so I appreciate that. I'd much prefer that rather than shows that signpost everything and keep reminding you and going, oh, remember this thing over here? This is important. Remember it. I mean, you even see it on TV dramas uh, on you know BBC or ITV where they do miniseries over so many nights and mm. something will happen in a Wednesday episode and just just as they show the thing on the screen, it will flash back to the thing that happened in the Monday episode, just to kind of remind you that this is linked to the same part of the story, rather than just yeah. assuming that you that you can put two and two together. Uh, I, just, I think they need to assume that people are watchers, are, viewers are more intelligent than that. I don't think they need to signpost absolutely everything. We've got this new power plant lady and for some reason she decides to go on a bit of an adventure herself and she she decided wearing high heels would be a good idea when you're going down into a cave yeah to be honest i'm not sure she actually knew where she was going she was led to the, the location by uh the man in the wheelchair the current uh nuclear boss nuclear power station boss um clearly she she suspects something's up wants to know more he then says you know, this this is a, a big deal. You're not just talking about the the power station's future. You're talking about the livelihoods of an entire town here. Do you really want that? Do you really want to know, really? And 
she's the sort of person who does want to know. She does want to make sure that that she's aware of everything that's going on. She doesn't want to be kept in the dark. And so he leads her to a location down a massive hole. <laughs> and yes, at that point, clearly wearing the wrong footwear. Um, you would have thought he would have been kind enough to say, yeah, you might want to change, change in. Given that she, didn't she change her footwear right at the very start of the show when she got out of the car think, in the car park? I th- yeah, I think she did. And also, you know, wh- why go in at nighttime? Go in the daytime, it's safer. Was she wearing them the second time? Because she went there first and saw them, didn't she? And then she went back and... I can't remember now. Uh, I, need to, I need to go and re-watch the episode. You need to go watch it for the sixth time. Yeah, I can't remember that what happened there, but I seem to remember it wasn't dark when she first went now. It was daytime. And then I think she went back. Maybe I'm thinking it was nighttime because it was a cave and it was dark when she went in. I know. She definitely went back at nighttime because um, the journalist was waiting for her and she didn't turn up because she was preoccupied with this other stuff that's going on with the nuclear containers. So yes, clearly this is this is something that's going on. She's discovered the secret of the power plant. Um, you do kind of wonder if this is the reason why Alexander Tiedemann in present day is also a bit nervous about police snooping around because he doesn't want people to find these containers. Presumably they're still there. That may they, that may suggest uh, the reason for why he was being a bit suspicious in the last episode. Yeah, and just going back to the um, the nurse, Mikhail says to the nurse, "I'm from the future," and it doesn't phase her one bit. I think you may not have spotted why she didn't look that concerned. <sighs> You're not going to tell me, though, are you? No, I'll tell you. Right, so. Just before she walked out of the room, she threw a magazine on the bed for him to read. And the magazine was called Captain Future. Right. So when he then says, I come from the future, she, as a medical professional, goes, ah, okay, he's obviously just making this up because he doesn't want to tell me the real truth and is now looking at this magazine that says Captain Future and is now telling me this story because that's what he's seen. So I suspect the reason that she doesn't look like particularly phased by this is just because she she immediately assumes that he's just making things up he's traumatized and i think she's more showing more concern for just his general well-being and the fact that he seems mm. to be alone without any parents from a medical professional point of view rather than um you know the idea that no one in their right mind believes that time travel is possible so she's not going to suddenly freak out and go oh my god you come from the future but even still she didn't react in a way that was like Oh, you're so funny, or or like mm. not in, like not you're so funny, but in a kind of role. If someone said that to you, even if you were the nurse, you'd sort of roll your eyes. You wouldn't be able to help it. But she didn't. She looked like because she's a professional. She doesn't roll her eyes. I've seen nurses roll their eyes. Wow, they're not very professional then. What else have we got? We've got the scene. Speaking of Egon having made a. Uh, Egon is determined to get something on Ulrich Nielsen. He's convinced that he's the pro- tr- troublemaker in town. Convinced mm. that he's the guy he sent this boy to him to just mess with him. Uh, he's convinced that he is involved in the the sheep dying. I think he just he, he's looking to to peg something on him. And obviously goes to visit Ulrich. Wanders in, sees him playing uh, Commodore sixty four, which. 
I might add is uh, he's playing a particular model of the Commodore 64 that wasn't actually available commercially until the following year. Uh, and that just, that I was, I was done with this episode when I realized <laughs> I was disgusted. I, I'm particularly fond of that model because that's the model of the Commodore 64 that I had growing up uh, and I'm, I didn't get it till 1989, but it actually came out in 1987, which is the year after this episode is set um, playing Commando. But I digress. The uh, He should have been playing an Atari 2600 really in that era. But I do, it does make me realize that his family must have had quite a bit of money to spend to have a, a, a Commodore 64 in that era must have been in that particular year must have been worth a fair bit i would have thought so egan's there and talking to ulrich and uh clearly has it in for him is quite upset by the lyrics of the song that he's listening to by a german band called creator uh the song's called pleasure to kill and the lyric is my only aim is to take many lives the more the better i feel and Egon is absolutely disgusted with the fact that he's listening to such songs. Uh, and you can see why. I mean, it's, it's basically the usual thing, isn't it? You've got the older generation telling the younger generation that the music they're listening to is is the devil's music. It's not good. Uh, you know, they, they it doesn't have any melody, that sort of stuff. The usual sort of thing that old people say about young people's music. Um, but yeah, he's not happy. Um, so Ulrich Nilsson doesn't like Egon either, to be honest. You can see that Ulrich thinks that he's a drunk, that he's not good at his job, thinks that he's uh, not doing enough to find his brother. Uh, and it's quite interesting that that perhaps that's the reason that Ulrich Nielsen decides to become a policeman in the future, because he obviously wants to do a better job than this guy did. And it's quite interesting that the earlier scene in this episode where Mikhail goes to the police station to find his father and uh, Egon's there and he asks him why he's there and M- Mikhail says I'm here to find my father uh, Ulrich Nielsen and Egon says what the Ulrich Nielsen I'm pretty sure he'll never work here uh, and it's obviously some interesting foreshadowing there because we we know having seen the sort of the present day that he does in fact end up working in the police station does Mikhail think he's gone back in time do you think then or do you think he is he, is he phased or because he doesn't see, like he doesn't seem that bothered that he's if he has he must have seen well he did see the date on the newspaper so he must kind of put two and two together but yet he's still looking in the usual places to find his parents i think it maybe that it isn't just that he's not phased i think he's just really confused by what's going on and is like any child would be doing is trying to go where go to places that he knows really that's familiar to him well where this episode got going for me the music montages that you really like in these shows. And I really enjoyed the song in this one. I don't know who it was, but it was just a really, uh, it was a really good song. And um, there was a sequence where Ulrich and he was in the cave and Mikkel had run away and he was in the cave and Ulrich could hear him and Mikkel could hear Ulrich. So, or, or could they? That, that I was like, what is going on here? Is that, is that some sort of, like a portal where when you're in it you actually like you're in the same that that portal is the same time but outside of that where Mikel is is 1986 where Ulrich is is 2019 it's it seems like they are they can hear each other there and I couldn't work out if the reason they could hear each other was that they were somehow actually in the same time whether one had gone whether Mikhail had somehow managed to get back to 
the present day, but was now in a different part of the cave system, or whether Ulrich had actually managed to get back into 1986 and again was still somewhere else in the cave system, or were they just in the same chamber within the cave? I don't know. It, it just seemed like maybe they were actually literally in the same space, but just at different times. And that's why you could hear this echoey effect. I love the split screen use as well. That was something I really enjoyed in this. I thought it was really clever how they did that because yep. at times it looked like it could be one scene. And then at times, obviously you could tell it was like a split screen towards the end of the episode. Or I think it's the last thing we see at the episode. We see a doctor or we think, he, well, I think he's a doctor and he's got the same contraption machine as Doctor as as Mister Dark has in the uh, in the hotel, and of course that's where the episode ends, leaving um, lots of confusion and anger. And actually, no, it, it left me going. Oh, I, I'm looking forward to watch the next one. Yeah, and I kind of expected you to come away from this ep- episode being a little bit more infused by what you'd just seen compared to the previous episode but I, i'll admit this still wasn't the episode that really had me hooked that's still to come uh this episode for me was the one that kind of made me kind of go oh yeah i'm enjoying this you know now i know that it's about time travel and so on i'm, I'm getting into it there was something else in, in the montage the, the girl uh, the there was a young girl and i don't know which one it is and i think she might have been self-harming and that's why she was covered up um and then there's a scene where I think it's her when she's older and she's feeling herself, but it's like, in a way, is she ill? Has she got cancer? So, yeah, it certainly looks like there's self-harming going on in that that scene. Not happy by the looks of it in her life. Um, and, yeah, you're right. It does look like she's she's in, examining herself for lumps, um, whether that's because she's found something or... And it would fit in with, you know, the, the radiation near mm. the... The, the Chernobyl reference that was made in this episode. Um, yeah, and it's interesting because she's obviously very connected to that uh, that power plant in that it's her husband who is now the current boss of the power plant in, in present day times, Alexander Tiedemann, and her mum is the power plant boss in 1986. So her family is very heavily connected to the power plant and obviously the radiation that's underneath. Uh, I don't quite know how that would give her cancer, but that's clearly um, an interesting link there. So that's how the episode wrapped it up. And then it goes to the intense um, music for the end credits, which does get you thinking, oh, I'm quite looking forward to watch the next one. Um yeah, it's like with anything, once you get familiar with it, you start to enjoy it a bit more. You know, there's not many times where you can hear a song for the first time and you love it straight away. You have to let it settle in. You have to get used to it. And that's how I kind of feel about this um, this show. Um, and then speaking of music, what was that song in the in that little montage? Because it was really, it was great. It's interesting you should say that because you use the word familiar and that is actually the name of that song by Agnes Obel. A really good song. That was that was basically the, I think the first song that I heard that made me go straight to Spotify to dig it out because it is such a powerful song. So there we have it. Thanks for listening again to this week's episode of Cine Binge. We would really appreciate it if you could leave us a little review 
on iTunes. It really does help the show. And make sure you go and tweet Andrew, which is, we haven't even told them the address for the Twitter. So the address for the Twitter is Cinebinge TV. So go to Cinebinge TV, leave us a tweet, make sure you follow us. Andrew, have you got anything else you want to say? Yes, I'll leave you with a quote from this episode that I think sums up the entire show perfectly. What we know is a drop. What we don't know is an ocean. We'll see you at the next one.